0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If we are not careful, we can see Good Friday as a tragic turn of history. It is nearly impossible for us to see an event like the crucifixion as anything other than the seizing of a person against their will and then forcing them to suffer. A spectacle of violence inflicted by a collaboration of people and powers, both cruel and indifferent, in their turn. How could something as awful as the cross not be the severing of a brilliant life and ministry, the defeat of a hopeful vision of redemption, or the failure of goodness to triumph over evil? How could pain and death in the end be the means of any victory? Our struggle to embrace the truth of Christ's cross is nothing new. This is why we are here today. We cannot resolve that struggle by looking away from the cross. We also cannot peer into it from a safe distance. We have to know the cross from the inside. Our struggle to know the truth and the resolution of that struggle are both found in the experience of Jesus Christ on the cross, into which we are invited through the Holy Spirit today. Suffering is distinct from pain. Pain is a natural sensation. It can be physical, psychological, or spiritual. It reports to us that something has violated integrity. It alerts us to the presence of something that has begun to harm us. Yet the sensation of pain can only report. It cannot interpret. The meaning of pain requires us to find the story about that pain. And this is where we cross over into the world of suffering. Suffering is the experience of pain that struggles to find the meaning of the pain. The degree of suffering has to do with the gravity of the pain and the intensity of the struggle to find its meaning. Suffering is a ruptured experience of meaning that becomes fertile soil for despondency to creep in. It is articulated as a painful why, along with the shame, anger, sometimes fear, that we cannot find the answer. In its ultimate form, suffering is the experience of that why, that settles into a defeated loneliness, and a commitment to the tempting thought that there is, in fact, no answer, and there never will be. It is this experience of suffering at certain extremely painful moments of our life that makes us struggle to see the crucifixion as anything other than tragic. To ascribe today to an unfortunate and ruinous turn of events is an understandable attempt to rationalize a kind of pain and perceived suffering that would otherwise make us sit in stunned perplexity before it. As awful as it would be to think that the world, the flesh, and the devil can get their act together enough to kill the Son of God, it is somehow terrible. T- this somehow is terribly. Preferable to the notion that Jesus freely submitted to the worst imaginable suffering because of his great love. Love, after all, wounds the pride and secret shame of the heart much more keenly than hate. We can grasp things falling apart. We struggle to comprehend loving patience through suffering. The Passion narrative in St. John's Gospel makes clear, though, that the tragic accounting of things is ultimately inadequate. There is no point on Good Friday at which Jesus Christ is not deliberately assenting to the agony of the Passion. It is willful, it is purposeful, and thus it is revelatory. The manner in which Christ wills to offer his life and the human drama surrounding it that we have just reenacted, are the most effective ways of revealing why we need him to do this, and why he is the only one who can do this. That revelation reaches one of its most poignant and perplexing moments when Jesus cries out to God, Why have you forsaken me? In his ministry, Jesus quoted the Psalms more than anything else from the Scriptures. He loves the Psalms, and here he's speaking the first words of Psalm 22. Again, we have to avoid looking at this from the outside, lest we fall into the errors of many who have done theological backbends to argue that God the Father somehow abandons God the Son, The psalms are poetic. They invite us into them to sit still and attentively for a while. In the experience of the cross, we can see through the lens of Psalm 22 how Jesus willingly deprives himself of the sensible presence and the felt consolations of his Father in a way that was unknown to him at any other moment of his life, before or after. The Father has not, in fact, forsaken him. It is unnecessary to say so because in stead- it is unnecessary to say so because in steadfast love, the Father never forsakes anyone. To cry out of that experience of suffering, abandonment reveals how far we can go away from the consolations of God's steadfast love. And how for love's sake, God will let us go as the father in the parable of the prodigal son lets his prodigal son go, if he will. Even knowing that from our self-inflicted distance, we so often will then and turn and blame him. In receiving to himself, in even this profound misery of willful exile from love, Jesus on the cross redeems the furthest point imaginable of sin and despair. He makes even this a possible place for salvation to begin. The cry, why have you forsaken me, is ultimately the cry of the heart of Adam and Eve hiding in Eden after the fall. And Jesus brings even this to himself. It is our compulsive tendency to hide in shame and then, in terror, ask why God has hidden himself. I can recall something like this, being a child, and when I would hurt myself, my tendency was to go and hide and try to assess my wounds by myself. If discovered, I would reactively hide the wound and yell to my mom or dad, no, don't touch it. But at the same time, I knew I did not want really to be vulnerable and alone. Overwhelmed by the wound, I wanted desperately for someone to know what to do, for someone to touch the thing I told them not to touch. And to heal me. In the fullness of his humanity, Christ takes to himself all of our wounds, all the wounds of the human family since Adam, all of our sin, all of its attending shame, and all of the ways we have hidden ourselves from him. In crying out, Why have you forsaken me? Christ touches the wounds of alienation both from man and from the felt consolation of God. And in the fullness of his divinity, Jesus is God's response to that cry, Why have you forsaken me? It is a cry of the heart to which he responds in Christ, I am here, where you feel most the need to hide, where you feel the most alone, where you feel yourselves the most forsaken. I can make you whole again, and I am not going anywhere. All sin can ultimately do is to bring us to the point where we despair. All death can do to us is to bring us to the point where we believe we are utterly alone. All suffering can do to us is to tempt us with the belief that pain is ultimately without meaning. All of these experiences bring us to the end of ourselves. Lord willing, Lent has accomplished something like the same end, except with our willing participation. The recognition of sin, suffering, and death in us over this season has afforded us the possibility today of seeing how Jesus has made himself to occupy the space at the end of each of those roads so that even the brink of despair itself can be the trailhead of salvation if we turn to it. Repentance, in the end, alone cannot save us. It can only turn our head from the thing we were pursuing and make us to ask for help But that turning again is left incomplete, unless at the very moment we repent that we turn away from where we were going, we are met by someone who can receive us and then guide us home. Forsakenness is the false crescendo of the passion narrative. Left to ourselves, we would get stuck there forever. But the passion of Christ rescues us from the snare of that false end. The experience of being forsaken was not mere theater. The Son of God really did make himself to experience it. But the experience of feeling forsaken is revealed not to be the final note. The true culmination of this day, the true end, is in that reconciliation that Christ declares beyond the cry of one forsaken. In his words, the last words of the cross, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. At the end of the sorrowful day, the God we feared was gone, is suddenly revealed as a father ready to receive with love his son. Reconciliation is revealed in their unbroken love that has now, with the proof to show for it, endured all things. Jesus reveals in the hour of his death that it is possible to be found and reconciled in that very place that Christ alone can create, beyond the point at which we were most tempted to believe that nothing left was possible for us. We are here today to remember that Jesus has made it possible for us to be found, if we will be found. There is no darkened niche in the labyrinth of suffering where we cannot be found by the Lord and then led out into the light. Good Friday makes clear that in all our experiences of pain, God is not over there, inflicting these things upon us. He is right here, with us, undefeated by despair and death, loving us and saving us. It is, because of these things, safe to welcome him into the place of our hearts where it hurts the most, because that is the place where we most need to know, that the pain is not senseless, and that begins by knowing him there. Left to ourselves, we can only offer with a terrible repetition that first line of Psalm 22. Because he is with us, we can be received by the suffering son this day who will gather us together as a people who shall be born up in his prayer, beyond that prayer of forsakenness. And then, as one, he will offer us in himself to the God he proves with his last breath to be in truth, our loving Father. Father, into thy hands. I commend my spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.